0: Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. One of the
1: realities of life is that people sin. We live in a fallen world. We are surrounded by people who do not know our God. We also struggle with the temptations of life and we struggle with the issues Related to not knowing our God in the way that we would like. There is a lot of sin in the world. This is just one of the consequences of living in the fallen world that we are in. This certainly is not what God originally intended when He created humanity and He created the earth, but He is taking advantage of this situation. He is making use of the decision that Adam and Eve made and that we also make in our own ways. He is taking advantage of the sufferings of life in order to reveal things about himself that he probably would not be able to reveal in any other way. Again, I do not believe that this was his intent, but I do believe that he is taking advantage of the situation and using it in such a way that something greater can result. And in that way, I can be thankful for what he is doing in my life and in the lives of many people around me. For example... I do not believe that I would ever truly understand what he means when he says he loves me. I don't think I would ever be able to understand that unless I understood my sin, unless I understood my depravity and the fact that I do have sins that he could keep records of. The fact that he is patient. What he reveals to me through the condition that I am in is something that I don't think he could reveal in any other way. I don't want to say that to encourage you to increase the amount of sin that you have in your life. I feel confident that you have plenty of it as it is. But one of the consequences of there being sin in the world is that, on occasion, we are going to be victims of somebody else's sin. That's going to happen. There is no way to avoid it. We will be the victims of somebody else's decisions. We will suffer because someone sins against us, either directly or indirectly. We will experience suffering in this world because of the sins of other people. And some of these circumstances can be quite severe. Some of these situations can be so severe that we would put that in the classification of trauma, of deep-rooted trauma, to the point where we probably will never be able to get over the pain and the suffering that we personally experienced because of somebody else's sin. Now, of course, there are other circumstances that are not that severe, but regardless of how severe these situations might be, regardless of how terrible these violations may be in a person's life, we have a tendency to go and ask people for help, ask people for some counsel, ask people to help us get over what we are dealing with, help us to find some way to move past the sufferings that we have in our lives. And some of the people that we tend to look to in this context are religious people, Religious leaders, those who are known in our communities as people of God, and they have been trained well for these kinds of situations in the seminaries that they were educated in, or when they were under the supervision of a mentor, perhaps. Either way, we look to these religious leaders who are around us as people who will give us the counsel, who will give us the word of God in such a way that we will experience healing so that we can overcome the struggles that we have deep inside because of what somebody did to us. And so we will go to these people on many occasions, and of course, they have been well trained to be able to respond to the situations that we bring to them. And this is one of the most common responses that people give when they're in this type of a circumstance. They will look to you and they will say, I am so happy you are here. I'm very thankful that you are here because, of course, I am a man of God and I have all of the answers that you need in order to overcome the pain and the suffering in your life so that you can have some sense of joy and peace in an eternal way so that you can be healed in such a way that you know It was the divine presence of God in your life that made this real to you. And I am the representative. Now, I, of course, do not believe this. I'm just giving you a common situation, a common circumstance that a lot of you have probably heard of before or you personally have experienced this. I will explain to you what I believe the passage is saying that I'm about to quote in just a minute. But to follow through with this, they will say that you have come to the right place, and they will open up the word of God as they have been trained to do so. This is part of formal education in many seminaries and places where people go in order to prepare to help people who are in need, who are suffering under these kinds of situations. And so they will turn to a passage such as Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. This is a very well-known passage in the scriptures, it's often referred to as the Lord's Prayer. So let's read that. Beginning in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, it says, Pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. And so they say something that sounds like this. They say, So I'm very thrilled, I'm excited, I'm very happy that you have come to me because I have been well trained and well prepared to answer the question that you have brought before me. This question of how do you overcome this terrible abuse, suffering, trauma that you have received from this person or these people or from whoever who have sinned against you. How do you get over that? All you need to do is forgive them. Because, of course, if you don't, then you will in no way enter the kingdom of heaven. Your God will not forgive your sins. You will go to hell if you don't forgive this person who horribly violated you. Now, don't you feel better? Doesn't that sound terrible? It is terrible. That is horrible. I put that in the classification of spiritual abuse. Yes, spiritual abuse. Now, of course, I know that Jesus said this. I read it myself. I can see that. I know that this is what Jesus said. But I believe that he was intending to say something different than what I just described right now. But this is what people say. This is what people do behind those closed doors, in those private offices, in those buildings that look holy and righteous and have God all over the place. This is what happens in many cases. Now, obviously, not in every case, but I have heard this enough myself. I have personally encountered enough people to say boldly that this happens, and I believe it will continue to happen. I don't know how this could possibly be stopped outside of a major renaissance in Christianity. I personally don't think that it's ever going to go away. And so I feel confident in saying this, not only for your benefit, but for future generations, because this is spiritual abuse. That's what this is. And if you pay money to somebody who believes something like this, I would like to encourage you to stop, walk away And never look back because these people have to be terrible people, in my opinion, to say something like this. I mean, to be so cruel as to say something like this to an individual tells me that this person really does have to be a terrible person. I don't think that people are so blind that they can't see the effect that this would have on an individual who has experienced dramatic severe trauma in their life, and to use some excuse like, well, this is what I was taught, or this is what the Bible says, to use an excuse like that, I believe, is just simply unacceptable. That's my opinion. I believe that Jesus was intending to say something different, that this was not given for this purpose. There are other things that he had to say that are related to this, that would be much more applicable. But this is definitely not his intent. This is not his purpose. And I believe this should be known. I believe that people should speak about this. They should talk about this. I believe that this is something that people need to be informed about. That this is something that happens in secret all the time, and it needs to be exposed. And so that's what I'm doing right now. I'm exposing this spiritual abuse that is taking place all around us, and I suspect will continue to take place for some time. And so by all means, help people to know the truth, and that is that this is not why Jesus said this. He said this in the context of the Sermon on the Mount. And his purpose of teaching the Sermon on the Mount was to teach the Law of Moses. Why would he teach the Law of Moses? He taught the Law of Moses because that was the covenant that was in effect before he died. The New Covenant did not go into effect until after he died. And so you should expect him to teach the Law of Moses. You should expect that. But the most important reason as to why he would be teaching the law of Moses was because the people who he was speaking to were well discipled by the religious leaders of their time of this time when Jesus was teaching, they were well discipled and the people who they were listening to the people who they were learning from, who they respected were people who taught them that they could obey Moses, that they could live in obedience to all of the commandments. And if they did, then, of course, God would bless them in return. He would owe them. It would be a debt that he would pay. Things like that. Jesus taught the Sermon on the Mount in order to show people that they were not following Moses. That they needed to add to what the scribes and the Pharisees were teaching because the scribes and the Pharisees were not teaching all of Moses. Now, as I explained in the previous program, this can be difficult to identify because in some cases, they taught more than what Moses had to say. They gave more laws than what Moses gave, and that's true. But in other cases, they did not teach enough. So Jesus addressed both. He did deal with the issues of the additional laws that the scribes and the Pharisees came up with. But in the Sermon on the Mount, in most cases, what he was addressing was the lack of laws that people... We're aware of that they were following. And this is one of those circumstances where Jesus says that if you are going to live in obedience to the law of Moses, if you are going to obey God, then of course you are going to forgive others. Otherwise, He wouldn't forgive you. That's true. Because you have to be perfect. You have to be holy, you have to be sinless, you have to overcome, otherwise God is not going to overlook anything that might exist in your life. You will in no way enter the kingdom of heaven. That's what he said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And this is an example of how your righteousness can exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees because they certainly weren't forgiving others in the way that they should. And so you do that. Now, to say that this is what Moses taught might be a little bit of a surprise to you, and so I'll refer to the law in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. This is Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. It says that you shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. To love your neighbor as yourself and to not bear a grudge against your neighbor means that you forgive them. And so if you don't, then you are not obeying the law of God. You are not fulfilling the requirement that God gave through Moses. And so if you are not, then there is no way for you to enter into the kingdom of heaven because you are not as perfect as God. Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Wouldn't you like to know how to be as perfect as God? That's what he continues to explain in Matthew chapter 6 to include the Lord's Prayer. That's why he gave the prayer. He did not give the prayer so that we today could look at this and say, well, this is how we can pray. You know, there are a lot of people who do that. I understand that in the liturgy, in many denominations, this is said every week. Some people say this every day. But he didn't give it to us for this reason. He gave this to the disciples. He gave this to the people who he was speaking to so that the more they would pray this, the more they would realize that they are not forgiving others as they should. And because they are not, They will be continually reminded, as often as they pray this, continually reminded that they are not going to be forgiven by God. God is not going to forgive them. And how many people today quote this prayer every day or every week? Many people. A lot of people are devoted to their religion, and this is part of it. And do they see this? In general, when I have asked people if they understand what I'm describing, they say no. They have no idea what I'm talking about. They have no idea where I get this from or what I'm saying. Yes, they quote this every day or once a week or whenever, but they don't know what I'm talking about. And I will tell you why, because I question them further. I discover the reason why is because they don't really care. They don't care what they're quoting. They don't care what they're believing. All they care about is that they followed the procedure. They followed the liturgy. They were religious. They had some religious activity. They do not care about the truth. All they care about is the people who they hang out with at their church. All they care about is that they did a bunch of religious stuff and so that they can stand up with their pride and say, I have done this and you have not, and I'm part of this and you are not. This is the kind of attitude that I run into A lot. And so that's why I feel comfortable in saying that, that people are consumed with their own pride, but they have no concept of the truth and they have no real interest in it. They don't care what they are saying. All they care about is being in that building, being associated with that group, and being a part of that social experience that they have there. But this is the truth. If you will be sincere about this, if you will believe what you say, if you will believe what you read, then you will eventually come to the point of total, absolute despair. You will have no alternative but to realize that under no circumstances will you ever be forgiven by God because you will never forgive adequately. How can I say that you will never forgive adequately. Well, consider one of those situations that you would be expected to forgive somebody. Consider one of those situations. Do you ever mention it? Do you ever bring it up? Is it something that you throw out there in conversation or use as a way to get people to feel sorry for you or to think that you're a victim or something? If you bring it up, then that to me is a reasonable indication to show that you probably have not forgiven that person. Otherwise, why do you keep bringing it up? This may be something that happened 30, 40, 50 years ago, 60 years ago. And people bring these things up as if they happened last week. They do. I know people like this. That's why I say that. They keep bringing it up. They keep talking about it. And they say it in different ways. They say, well, I am a victim. Or they say, I have overcome this by living my life and getting through it without this person's help and without this person's apology. I, in my own pride, is what they're really saying, have overcome even though this wicked, evil person was in my life. Or I am not as functional as I ought to be because I have this abuse in my past. Now, I can appreciate the seriousness of abuse and I can appreciate the seriousness of sin and the effects that it can have on a person's life. But in the context of forgiveness, there is no way that you can possibly claim that you have forgiven this individual when these are the kinds of attitudes that you are expressing. It's not possible. Now, my purpose in saying this is not to then encourage you to find some way to hide better, hide your unforgiveness better. That's not my purpose. My purpose is only to show you that you do not deserve the forgiveness of God and you cannot claim That he owes you anything, God owes you anything, that you can turn to him and say, because I have forgiven everyone in my life who has hurt me, you should now forgive me because that's what you promised. That was not the purpose of this. The purpose of this was to show us that we will never receive forgiveness. We will never obtain forgiveness. We will never be forgiven. That's why he said this. He didn't say this so that we would find a way to get forgiveness. He said this to show us that under no circumstances would we ever be forgiven. Now, of course, we know, according to the gospel, that our God has already forgiven us. He forgave us. He forgave the entire world. That was what he did when he died on the cross. He died for the sins of humanity. And so things are much different now. During this time when Jesus was teaching, he was still alive. He had not died on the cross. He had not been resurrected from the dead. Things were different back then. But after he died on the cross and rose from the dead, it was announced that the living God forgave the entire world. He invoked a new covenant through his death and resurrection. And according to the new covenant, we relate to people in a different way. We do not forgive others so that we can obtain the forgiveness of God. We now forgive others as we have been forgiven by our God. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32. We forgive others with the forgiveness that we have already received from our God. Now, I have done a series of programs on the subject of forgiveness, and I would definitely like to encourage you to listen to those programs But you need to listen to all of them. You need to start from the first one and go all the way to the last one in order to appreciate what it means to forgive others with the forgiveness that you have received. Because in most cases, it's very unusual to find someone who really understands the forgiveness that they have received, let alone forgive others with that forgiveness. And so it's necessary to really answer the question, how have you been forgiven first? before you can possibly comprehend, understand, appreciate, or apply the forgiveness that you have in such a way that you would forgive others with the forgiveness that you have been given. But before the cross, no one had been forgiven. There was no forgiveness. There was only obedience or death. There was only be as perfect as God or you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, the purpose for this was to drive an individual to the point so that they would realize that they have absolutely no hope No hope whatsoever outside of the grace and mercy of God. And so if the people would have heard his words and they would have applied his words and they would have been devoted to his words, if they would have lived according to the words of Jesus, if they would have really committed themselves to everything that Jesus said, they would eventually reach the point of recognizing that they have absolutely no hope whatsoever of ever knowing their God, seeing their God, being saved or entering into the kingdom of heaven. And so if you follow these words today, if you try to live according to what he said then today, if you try to live today a life that is a reflection of what he said here, then would you really expect anything different You shouldn't expect anything different. You should expect that if you are truly committed, and of course it's very difficult to find someone who will be truly committed to something like this, but let's assume that you will be committed to doing everything that Jesus said. If you will truly live your life that way, then you will eventually come to the point of total absolute despair. And so maybe you can then receive the mercy of God and be saved. But people who are Christians make this assumption that this is the Christian life, and it is not. This is what Jesus said to lead a person to the point so that they could be the recipients of eternal life and begin to live the Christian life. But you will never be able to begin to live the Christian life when you are still living a life under the law, under Moses, as Jesus taught. That is the Lord's Prayer the purpose of the Lord's Prayer. Use it for the purpose that He gave it. If you use it for a purpose that it was not given for, then you are misusing and abusing not only the Word of God, but the people who you speak to. Now, some people will believe this kind of stuff. Some people will believe that Jesus said this back then so that they can have a prayer to say today. They will believe that And they will live that way with all of their heart, with deep sincerity. And when they reach the point of despair, if they are honest, if they are true to what Jesus said, then what? Then what are they going to do? That's the point, is that if they believe that this is the Christian life, when in reality it is the life under the law of Moses, then what is the Christian life? To them, it does not exist and it will never exist. Because they don't know any better. They don't know anything other than this. And for those who don't care, those who are just looking for some kind of religious experience, you are giving them a religious experience as if it is the truth, as if it is the new covenant. And without sincerity, they will never reach the point of despair. And so they will never question what the Christian life might really be about, because they believe that this empty life that they have in this religious activity is it when it is not. And I will continue in the next broadcast.
0: You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries P.O. Box 38353 Colorado Springs, Colorado 80937 Or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net That is livinggodministries.net